It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's day two of the world's biggest talking shop up in Glasgow where the global elites have gathered to show off how virtuous they all are, clapping, chanting, exaggerating, modelling, predicting and of course not forgetting the reading of the poetry. So far, we've had all the usual suspects preaching doom and gloom. Sir David Attenborough, Professor Brian Cox, look at the sky. Greta Thunberg, how dare you? Boris Johnson, we're all going to die. Archbishop Welby, uh, you'll be uh, appeasing the Nazis if you don't stop climate change. UN Chief Antonio Guterres and President Joe Biden, of course, who apparently is going to be speaking every single hour of the day today. Let's hope he can manage to stay awake, which he didn't manage to do yesterday. Uh, Pictures of him falling asleep. Uh, Who can blame him? I think I'd be sleeping. Uh, I think I'd be lying down uh, prostrate on the floor, uh, if you ask me. They've told us that we're treating the earth like a toilet, that ignoring climate change would be like appeasing the Nazis, that we're strapped to a doomsday device and that our children will not forgive us if we do nothing, and that there's still time to turn tragedy into triumph. Really? Well, if it's that bad, surely it's too late, isn't it? Apparently not. This is the message that the leaders of the world want to pass on to their citizens. I think... I have only one thing to say. Never before in the field of human conflict has so much rubbish been talked by so many about an issue that there is still far too little evidence that we can reverse whatever climate change is actually going on anyway. Tales from COP26 are so far painting a picture of inefficiency, long queues for security, masses of private jets polluting the country and demos from all and sundry. Uh, yeah, that's right. Insulate Britain are back out and about today. The latest outrage is a complaint from Israeli minister Karin El-Hara that the international groundbreaking summit was somehow inaccessible for people in wheelchairs, of which she is one. And now there's a doctor cycling to Glasgow from Bristol. Wait for it. Towing a block of ice. <laughs> to make a statement about climate change. He's towing a block of ice, okay, on the back of a bike. It doesn't appear to be refrigerated. I'm saying outside of Bristol, there's a place called uh, the M5. I'm going to say to this man, who is apparently a scientist, he's taking a week off, by the way, so he won't be seeing any patients. It's going to melt before you get anywhere near Shrewsbury, mate. For heaven's sake, 03444991000. Up first this morning, we're speaking to Lois Perry from car26.org, which conducted with YouGo 
a survey of attitudes to net zero and discovered that a majority of people in the UK would like to see a referendum on this political obsession. We're also hearing from Claire Mercer from Smart Motorways Kill following an MP's report that all rollouts of the deadly road system should be halted. Claire has been campaigning for this ever since she lost her husband to an horrific accident on one. We'll bring you the latest from Scotland in the company of Laura Dodsworth, who made quite a splash in New Zealand this week. And our very own Kevin O'Sullivan is here as well, ahead of his big show tonight from Seven. We're filming Plank of the Week with him later as well. 0344 499 1000. That's not all. Uh, Charles-Henri Galois joins us from Generation Brexit after a man Emmanuel Macron waved the white flag on a blockade of HGV lorries entering France from Britain as the fishing row continues. And Dr. René Hunderkamp is here as well to give us the real truth about those bogus hospital figures handed to us yesterday by an NHS specialist who claimed there were 10 times the number of pregnant women in ICU units than with uh, COVID than there actually were. Why are they telling us so many lies? Why do they think they're going to get away with it? Not on this show, not on my watch, not on Talk Radio. We're the fastest growing radio station on the planet. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, for quite a long time now, I would say just over a week, we've been talking about what I consider to be one of the best uh, and most useful surveys that's been done uh, in recent times on a political issue which everyone's talking about and which many people think is being overblown to the extent that they didn't actually ask for it to be made into a target. I'm talking, of course, about net zero. The whole reason, the raison d'etre for this ridiculous COP26 bun fight that's going on up in Glasgow with world leaders from all over the place flying in on private jets and telling us all uh, how to start stop travelling and how to stop wasting energy. Today they're talking about deforestation and how we have to stop killing all the trees in the world. Well, there seems to have been a lot of people in charge of that, which they haven't been doing very much about. Anyway, the point about net zero is, one, I don't think anyone understands what it means. Two, I don't think anyone understands what attaining net zero will actually cost. And three, I don't think anyone knows whether having attained net zero, that will make any difference whatsoever to the climate of the world. Let's talk to Lois Perry, director of car26.org. She was responsible for, for coming up with the, with the poll, uh, which basically showed that a majority of British people would like to see a referendum on net zero. Lois, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much indeed for, for talking to us. I mean, I think this is a fantastic, uh, fantastic poll because I think there's no question that this whole kind of um, issue, the whole debate around climate change has been steamrolled by those who wish to kind of tell us what we should be doing. And at no time really has anyone actually explained what it is that well, net zero means, right? Well, absolutely. And it's interesting because the Tony Blair Institute actually in their own polling showed that 14% of those polled actually didn't understand, had only 14% of those polled had any fair understanding of what net zero actually means. Mm. So, you know, people don't understand it at all. They haven't been consulted. And as my polling for car26.org shows, basically, you know, 58%, the vast majority of those who expressed an opinion want a referendum. And that was across the board. It was over 50%, Mike, across the board. That's uh, Brexiteers, Remainers, you know, Leave, everything. Um, London, outside of London, young and old. So there is a real call for this. Yeah, real, absolutely. Real cross-party. And tell us about some of the highlights of the poll that you did, because quite a lot of them, once you took out the don't knows, if you like, um, were very much in favour of a referendum, weren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, 58% of Conservative voters, 53% of Labour voters, 51% of Lib Dem. I mean, 51% of Remain. Um, you know, it was, and also female working class, that was extraordinary, 63%. So there is a massive, massive call for this. 
People don't like being railroaded, Mike. We know that. Look at what happened with Brexit. When the political elite forced up upon us, we don't like it. We just deserve to have a say. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Now, I'm reading this morning, another study uh, study, uh, result was this. 61% of Brits in that poll uh, that you did with YouGov expressed a preference are opposed to having eco-lockdowns in order for the UK to meet its net zero carbon targets. Because a lot of people are worried that the government, having had this uh, sort of alacrity to lock us all down whenever they felt like it. Oh, they love it, don't they? They do love it, yeah. And I mean, there are some people worried that this will be their next move. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, as you say, 61% of those expressed an opinion were against eco-lockdowns. And at car26.org, we're extremely worried that, as you say, now the government has got a, a hullishan, so to speak, for these uh, draconian powers, which they love, uh, this will be the next excuse. I mean, if we're all driving around in electric cars, which are essentially essentially giant iPads. What, you know, they could just switch it off. Right. I mean, I know I'm going into tinfoil hat territory a little bit, but, you know, if, if you've got an electric car, it can literally be switched off. You know, we're having a lockdown, your car's switched off. You're not going anywhere, mate. And that's exactly, I think people are a bit frightened of that too. Yes, but, I think you know, so. This, I'm very, 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 very worried, and so are the majority of Brits, that, as you say, this is the next thing. This is the next controlling mechanism. This is the next excuse, so to speak. Yes. And unfortunately, it's happened kind of without us really paying very much attention to it. And I've been quite surprised by this. I don't know about you, but the people that I talk to are not the sort of people that put up with this sort of stuff. So who are the people that are putting up with it? Well, I I know. God, it, it does make you wonder. I think people essentially, especially the English people, we try and be good girls and boys. We don't want to rock the boat too much. We have a lot of faith in our system. But I do think that we can only be pushed so far before we say, hang on a minute, you know, this isn't cricket. This isn't English. What's actually going on? You know, this is tyranny. And um, we just need to be so, so careful. And people need to really think about everything. And people want to be consulted and both these polls that my organization pardwood org have done shows that i believe yeah tell us a little bit about your organization because it's quite new isn't it it is new um we have a number of people who are concerned individuals i call them the 12 jurors and we put together this organization car 26 stands for climate analysis reason because that's what we want a reasonable analysis of all of the arguments and all of the science around climate change. The 26 is us being a little bit naughty with COP26 coming up. Excellent. But it's also 100 years ago, it will be 100 years on, on 2026 centenary of the general strike where people rose up against the the oppressors, mm. so to speak, because they were just thought that they'd been pushed too far. Yeah. And we're concerned about that that people will actually, will have had, well, we want them to have had enough, but we don't want it to get to that point. We like we like capitalism, we like fair play, we like a free market. We don't want that to happen. We want, we want people to be uh, warm and be able to pay their bills and be able to jump in their cars mm. and be normal, free people, because I am seeing all of that slipping away at the moment, and it's very scary. Yeah. I mean, I was amazed to watch some of the interviews that were on over the weekend. Ed Miliband was doing a few of them, talking about um, not wanting to tell people what they should be eating, but to kind of help them make that choice. And I'm going, 
What do you mean exactly help me make that choice? What you mean make it so expensive to eat beef that I'll have to eat plants? And that's kind of where they're coming from. And I don't know. I mean, I say this all the time on this show, Lois. I don't know where they got the idea that they were in charge of us. You know, we pay them. The only reason they've got any bleeding money in the first place is because they tax us to get it. And they're telling us what we're going to do uh, with our lives. And and they're going to tell us what they're going to do with our money. I don't think so. Well, absolutely. And I mean, what Tyler actually, you know, what did did the peasants revolt against um, the feudal system? And it does seem to me that they're trying to bring in a new feudal system with the lords at the top and the serfs at the bottom. And the serfs only eat meat once a year if they're lucky. And they, you know, it, and there's one rule for them and one rule for us. The middle class is absolutely annihilated. And um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's it's disgraceful. They're not in charge of us. We're in charge of them. Mm. And um, you know, the majority of the British public are, are showing this through the polling that we're doing with you, Gov at Car26.org. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the other question I've got for you about all of this mm. is the kind of march on uh, onwards of digital currency, right? You know, because cash oh, I hate it. is one of the four <laughs> words that that Boris has been using, hasn't he? He's been using trees, cash, cars, coal, right? What does he mean when he talks about cash? Because I've not heard him say anything yet. But what do you what do you reckon he means? The thing is, it's all about more. It's all about control, isn't it? If you control everybody's what everyone spends, if no one has any freedom whatsoever because they can't use cash, then it then everyone the government knows exactly what everyone's doing all the time. If you have an electric car, then you'll be you know you can be controlled. If you have even if you have smart heaters, anything like that, your devices in your house can be t- uh, can be turned off. Yeah. With, um, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've lost complete and utter control. And losing cash, it means that we lose our autonomy, and it makes us easier to manage. Yeah. And also, I see this as a little bit of um, a puritanical control mechanism whereby we're always in the wrong. It's wrong to want to make money. It's wrong to want to get on in life. It's wrong to not want to be a serf at the bottom of the pile. And uh, cash is a big part of that, I think, because cash is freedom and it's also independence. And yes, yeah, so and it's also a fairly untraceable as well. Well, absolutely. But I mean, I've got nothing to hide. But if I want to go and have a cup of coffee and I want to go in my car, and then I want to pay cash for it, and I want to be anonymous, surely that should be my right. You know, you leave a smartphone at home because you go for a walk and have a coffee in a park and pay by cash. They don't want that. That, That's just a silly example, but that's a small minor freedom that I would like to have and that obviously this would take away. Yeah, well, I was hearing this morning on Julie Hartley Brewer's show that they're talking about putting in cameras around schools now so that if you drive past a school uh, when you're not meant to, you'll get a ticket. Now, listen, I'm, like anybody else, quite happy to have safety uh, provisions put in around schools so that children don't get run over, and I think that's a good thing. But you don't give people tickets for driving on a road, which is an open road, which is effectively uh, a free road to drive on, do you? No, you don't. It's, um, as I say, it's uh, incremental, but it's not incremental anymore. It's massive, constant, big steps taken against uh and infringements against our liberty mm. and you're right it's an open road what what's the problem with driving down it yeah. it should maybe they should close it to the public if there's a problem oh, don't give me to... any, don't give me any more ideas i mean i tell you what i was in a cab <laughs> last night 
trying to get from one point of London to another point. I don't think I, I was nearly dizzy. Oh, London's a nightmare. Well, I was nearly dizzy. And I think that it's all deliberate. I really do to make things as awkward as possible. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case. I mean, all around the West End now, you know, you have to do sort of, you know, a, a ridiculous kind of meandering around of about, you know, three lefts, two rights, come back to the beginning, go round and round about, you know, every five minutes you're going over a speed bump. I don't think we did more than yeah. five miles an hour. So it now takes in a cab. Um, longer, really, than if you were walking. And, of course, they they all say, well, that's because you should be walking. Well, I might not want to walk. Yeah, well, that's OK it might be if raining. you can walk. <laughs> what about the people that can't walk? Well, you know? funny you should say that, because it seems that up at uh, COP26, there was a woman from Israel, an Israeli minister who tried to get in, couldn't get in, because guess what? It wasn't wheelchair accessible. Ah, oh, see, they're not as woke as they make out. No, they've forgotten about that bit. They were so busy telling us what plants to eat that they forgot to actually put a couple of ramps in for people who weren't able to no, walk no, into it, the plants. Yeah, exactly. Well, it just shows you how hypocritical this lot of people really, really are. They it really does. They don't really care about anybody. No. Lois, stay with us for a second because there's a couple of other questions I want to ask you with, uh, about. We've got lots to do today. I want loads of your calls as well because yesterday, and we didn't listen to much of the guff that was going on. We listened to the opening statement and the opening ceremony partly because we wanted to have a good laugh. Uh, today, apparently, Joe Biden, if he stays awake for long enough, is making a bunch of speeches about all sorts of things, including deforestation uh, and how we must preserve the forests of the world because that's where everybody uh, wants to live. Right. OK, then. I'm sure you believe that. I'm sure I believe that. Uh, I'm sure they think we all believe it. What an absolute and utter waste of time and energy and, of course, money as well. Uh, this is Talk Radio. We'll be back with Lois Perry after this. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Lois Perry, Director of Car26.org. Don't forget, you can now see us as well as listening to us. You can watch us on TV. Uh, just go to the talkradio.tv page uh, on Google or uh, go to the App Store and download Talk Radio. Uh, sorry, the Talk Radio TV app and you'll be able to watch us. Uh, as many, many more people are now doing. You can also watch us, of course, uh, on YouTube as well. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, Laura Dodsworth is going to join us. She's got plenty to say uh, about how the government has weaponised a lot of propaganda about uh, COP26 and about climate change in general. Uh, Lois has been talking a little bit about that as well. Lois, what sort of um, uh, plans have you got for the coming sort of two weeks? Because I'm afraid we've got, I'm not quite sure exactly what the timetable is. I'm, I'm told today that Joe Biden's making a speech about once an hour. Yeah, hopefully he can stay awake long enough to do that. I don't know whether he can. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, um, I presume all the politicians are only going to be there for a couple of days and then it'll just be everybody else who's left who, who is kind of just going to sit around talking. I don't quite understand how they're going to fill two weeks, really. No, I don't. Well, it's just a huge dolly, isn't it, for the death cult that's become net zero. Yeah. Um, it, even, though, even though I don't think they truly believe in any of what they're saying, to be honest, because they're, you know, not all of them, but some of them have got a couple of brain cells and they know that all of this is completely unfeasible. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be in Scotland. Um, I'm going up in a couple of days and I'm going to be talking to people and I don't know how popular I'm going to be though, Mike. Be well, I mean, I think you're going to be a lot more popular than you think, because, I mean, the whole net zero argument, the whole referendum argument is building, I think, quite a lot of momentum. And there will be some politicians, I think, soon who will see that and will go, hang on a minute. Uh, this is actually something that grassroots ordinary people care about. You know, and I noticed from your poll that an awful lot of people um, who did vote for Brexit and who are in those red wall seats in the north of England um, are very mm. much of the opinion that they would like to be asked about what net zero is going to mean. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, the red, as you say, the red wall voters are overwhelmingly um, in favour of this um, referendum about um, net zero for carbon. And yeah, they're the voters that the Tories really don't want to lose. So the, the MPs will wake up and they will see, oh, hang on a minute, we're going to lose our, lose our seats here. So, yeah, I do think that there'll be more uh, political engagement, certainly. And there certainly but as will. I say, I don't know how well I'll be received on this occasion, but I'm going to do a little bit of schmoozing, Mike. I'm going to do my best. Yes. <laughs> well, I think you, you must and, and do it on, on behalf of all the people who have ordinary jobs, who can't, Thank you. Affo- who can't afford, I mean, you'll certainly have our support, right? Who can't afford to Thanks. drive into London now, uh, who have been forced to pay this ridiculous congestion charge and now the ULES charge just because they happen to have to work. Uh, in a place that requires them to drive a van into it. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely it's staggering. It's always the poor that get penalised, always. Yeah, and the idea that we're all supposed to somehow hunker down and buy for fifteen or £18,000 a heat pump that, one, most people can't afford, and two, haven't and got... doesn't work. And haven't, <laughs> it doesn't work, haven't got the room to put it anywhere. I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, it's, like, it's almost as though... I mean, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but it's almost as though people like Boris Johnson live in some kind of cosseted ivory tower where they don't know what real <laughs> life is actually actually like <laughs> they have no clue about real life whatsoever and as you say these subsidies are only for the rich and this whole thing is a big elite game um as i say i'm not even convinced that the majority of the people that are trying to implement these policies have you know actually agree with the with the science that they're saying is right anyway but that leads me on to another point that we need to stop no platforming um scientists that have a differing view there are scientists, a huge amount of scientists, that believe that CO2 has nothing to do with um, uh, human global warming. Um, and, if the, and if the Earth is warming up, is that such a bad thing anyway? Mm. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with all of these points, but they need to be debated and they're not being debated. And it's worth noting as well that the BBC actually has a policy of not allowing any scientists that have a view that differs from the mainstream argument, well, the current mainstream mm. argument, on the BBC. So that's actually, that's pretty scary, isn't it? Mike? Well, it is. Well, it is. I mean, luckily for uh, for everybody else, Sky TV has now made itself completely unwatchable by doing wall-to-wall <laughs> coverage uh, of climate change, only climate change. Not nothing, Sky Australia, though. Nothing but. Well, that's a different owner. That's why, because uh, Sky uh, yes. Australia is now <laughs> owned still by the same company that owns uh, this company here. Uh, yeah, Sky is yeah, owned I'm... by the wokest at NBC in America. But, <laughs> I mean, here's the other here's the other thing, right? Um, they have a, they have a, a chief executive um, who's been flying backwards and forwards from New York to London uh, over it's the best so part. I know and and you know probably in first class I would imagine but I guess you don't yeah you don't have to worry about your emissions when you're in first class because the people in the back <laughs> of the plane end up paying them for you. But He's probably really planted a few trees Mike. Well this is what they do this is absolutely what they do even Chris Martin right the world's biggest tree planter do you know what he did last week he went to Dubai what? to perform a private concert for Giorgio Armani, who was celebrating 50 years in fashion, they flew about 45 models in from uh, from Italy. And I wonder you, how much that he made on that. Well, I, I would imagine it would count it in the millions. But I, what I can tell yeah. you is I can be pretty sure that he wasn't powering all the electricity in Dubai with people on bicycles. No, absolutely. And have you heard about these single-use private jet batteries? No. Um, for... Yeah, you have, well, as I said, you know, please in the name, they're single use. I mean, that can't be that good for the environment, can it? Having single use private jet batteries. 
But I mean, my understanding, I read about this this morning, but my understanding was that for a, a proper jumbo jet, that the battery would have to be for an Atlantic trip uh, 17 times the minimum weight, the maximum <laughs> weight that a plane could be. Right. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it's all nonsense. It really There's is. Codes, but I'm so it. glad, Lois, that I've found somebody like me who sees it as a total crock of, of nonsense. <laughs> Because yesterday I woke up. Great and I was, minds, yeah. Mike. No, listen, I was, I was, I was sitting thinking. Surely I can't be the only person that sees through all this nonsense and rubbish and, and, and crap. Quite. Frankly. I know it can feel very lonely, can't it? But actually, there's a real zeitgeist with us at the moment, and yeah. that's what I'm going to be pushing. Excellent. At, at COP26. Well, glad to hear it, Lowe's. Best of luck. Uh, let's check in with you again before the end of the conference because we should definitely do that, see how you're getting on. Uh, Lois Perry, the director of car26.org, uh, the organisation that pushed for a YouGov poll that shows, basically, that people in this country, at the very least, well, while they may not say they don't want net zero to be something that we aim for, they certainly would like to be asked about it and they'd certainly like to have a referendum on it. I think you'd join that, wouldn't you? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, before we carry on with the climate change conversation and take your calls on it as well, uh, because uh, obviously we are uh, not here to be part of the cheerleading squad for COP26. We are here to be critical of it. We are here to cast our eyes over it and to see precisely who is saying what and precisely what terrible warnings are being issued, uh, which should not be actually adhered to or even heeded. A far bigger story and a far bigger danger, in my view, right now, uh, is the smart motorway conversation. Front page of the Daily Mail today, MPs put the brakes on smart motorways because deadly safety flaws mean the construction of smart motorways must be halted. Uh, according to an MP's report. Let's talk to Claire Mercer now from Smart Motorways Kill. Claire lost her husband on one of these ludicrous roads where people have really no clue uh, what they're supposed to be doing. They don't know if they can stop in a, uh, a hard shoulder or a slow lane. They don't know what they're doing and lorries hit cars in them all the time. Claire, very good morning to you. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us, Claire. I mean, uh, you must be at the very least encouraged by what's happened to, uh, to, uh, late, late yesterday and today. Yes, yeah, it is encouraging, but then that's tempered because this is the 10th report that we've had this year into smart motorways alone. You know, they just keep looking at these. We're paying a lot of people to sit down and talk about this a lot, yeah. as with a lot of things. Um, but this, this is the 10th report this year. And again, it's only recommendations. It's not enforceable. Right. You know, it was, they could just flick a switch and we'd have the hard shoulder back in a minute. Mm. And what's their reasoning for not doing that? Did they tell you? Um, I've been told various different reasons. I've actually been blatantly told to my face that cost is one of them. Why you would say that to the relative of someone that's died on one, I that's don't know. That's disgraceful, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, I, they actually told me that that section alone cost, you know, like 50 million. And I said, well, if I could, if 50 million would get my husband back, I'd find a way to get it to you. Yeah. But that's just one person. There's another 40, 57 that have been killed. Um, they but say also, they talk, they talk about money. I mean, why does it cost 50 million? I mean, what, what, exactly. what's the issue with that? It's, I mean, and the thing about governments that I find extraordinary, right, is that unlike you and I, when we go to the shops, you know, we buy a tin of beans, we buy a packet of pasta, we buy some tea, you know, we know how much it costs. They don't seem to know what anything costs. Everything that exactly. they buy costs millions. You know, what is it that's costing 50 million quid about taking one lane and changing its status? Yeah, exactly. And it didn't, it wouldn't cost 50 million to turn it off. It cost 50 million for them to mistakenly put it in. It would cost absolutely nothing for them to turn it off yeah. and it would save lives. Yeah. And that's exactly what you want and what most people want and most sensible people. I don't know of anyone outside of government who's in favour of these. 
No, exactly. And I keep getting, today, I've had a few people quote certain sections of this report at me that say that um, in certain circumstances, smart motorways can be safer with a no hard shoulder. That absolutely defies logic. You can quote all the stats and data you like at me, mm. but which is safer to break down in a live running lane or on a hard shoulder i know hard shoulders are dangerous i am not stupid yes. but they are a lot lot safer than a live running lane yes and there's a reason for that because everybody understands that a hard shoulder is a place where you only stop in an emergency and most people now i think have got it into their heads that if you do stop on a hard shoulder the first thing you do is get out of the car uh, and climb clamber over the barrier if you can if there is one and wait in on the other side of the barrier just in case but what you don't know if you are sitting on a hard shoulder that isn't a hard shoulder, is that you could be smashed up the back by a lorry, not by accident, but because the lorry thinks it should be there. Well, exactly. I mean, but there's also the fact that these roads don't allow for physics. 40 tonnes travelling at 56 miles an hour, which is what they're limited to, can, can't stop as quickly as a Fiat 500 with one person in it. Yeah. These roads do not allow for physics. The driver in my husband's case should have been in a completely separate lane, but because Highways England took away that lane, he was in the same lane, and then physics did the rest. He had no other option, and that is why in, in almost every one of these tragedies, it is a HGV that hits mm. the stranded vehicle, because the cars just about managed to get round them. The HGVs cannot manoeuvre in that time. No, exactly right. And so what can happen next, and, and what do you hope can happen next? Well, the only aim, we have one aim, we like to keep it simple. We want the hard shoulder back in every single case and we won't stop fighting until we get that. The judicial review is still going on. Unfortunately, the pandemic has derailed you know, the timeline for that, but it's, it's, it is still going on. We are taking the government to high court to get smart motorways banned by the high court. It's just taken a very long time. Yesterday's protest was to try and embarrass the government into, you know, actually doing something before then, not not making us wait till right up to the, the deadline before doing something, meanwhile killing even more people. And, you know, the amount of attention and, and press that we've got from that is, is a very good way of embarrassing the government. And, you know, that we're just going to keep on pushing for that. We're also, because you said, like, get over the barrier. What if you can't get over the barrier? Disabled people are allowed, to, allowed on our motorways mm. as well. And, you know, so we're having to bring disability discrimination claims yeah. as well and corporate manslaughter charges. Yeah. So we're just having to go for legal case after legal case after legal case. And do you know uh, how many um, roads now are smart motorways in terms of the motorway network? I mean, I'm not even sure how 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 many miles the motorway network covers. But but well, I mean, this this is just the carnage with less than 200 miles of, of motorway without a hard shoulder. So this is what has happened with just less than 200 miles of that. They want to convert something like 1,500 miles of smart motorway into a smart into smart motorway. So, you know, times that by seven, that's what you're going to get. Mm. You know, some people are lucky enough to have not known of anybody or have anyone in their area succumb to one of these. But you will soon because they're going to change the entire country's roads into this and the problem with that is that means every time anyone goes on a smart mo on a motorway it's a smart motorway and when kids go back to school and school trips and oaps go back it will be a coach full of children or oaps at one uh, point that will happen yeah. and if one person by the side of the road is not safe 53 don't stand a chance 
No, it really is quite disgraceful. But listen, uh, I wish you luck. And anything we can do to help, Claire, do let us know, because uh, the point of this debate and this report, uh, although, of course, uh, Claire says it's one of many reports that's been put out over the course of the last year or two, and nothing seems to have really changed. This now uh, is having to go to Grant Shapps. This should now um, be told uh, to Grant Shapps as the final nail in the coffin of these horrible, ghastly, idiotic smart motorways, which clearly are not smart, do not work and are actually costing people's lives. And so since 2016, uh, when the Transport Committee basically came out with this idea, uh, they've now more or less reversed themselves and said um, the promised safety improvements were delivered neither efficiently nor effectively. So still, if you're out and about and there is a smart motorway in play, you don't feel safe enough to certainly stop the car if you need to uh, or feel that if your car has broken down, that something terrible won't happen to you. Because that of course, is uh, too hard, apparently, for the government to understand. They're too busy trying to make uh, the airport green. They're too busy trying to make you buy an electric car. They're too busy trying to make you get rid of your gas boiler. Well, how about you actually make the roads in this country safe, make them uh, fit to drive on, make them uh, able to take all of the traffic that's currently moving around on them and stop trying to shut roads down and close off cycle lanes uh, so that only cyclists can use particular roads. I mean, that's what London has now become. It's ridiculous, absolutely mad. 
Honestly, Mike, I've got so much to talk about today. I've got to make sure that my voice goes at normal speed. Yes. Because I'm fizzing and popping. Good. With how much spin to do with COP26 I want to talk about. And I get lovely compliments about my, my, my regular slot with you here, about yes. what a calming, soothing voice I've got. So I've got to make sure I don't go into well, double... you sound very calming double, and soothing. Double pace screech mode as we... <laughs> right, on go the glasses. Right. Let's have a look at the notes. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is hypocritical, but... Um, I, I mean, I, I want to start with a caveat emptor. I do not want to talk about the science of human-made climate change because mm. I want to focus on the spin. Yeah. Second caveat emptor, I have big questions about the science because, frankly, various authorities are trying too dogmatically and too hard to tell us we're not allowed to question yes. the science. And in my humble experience with this government and the authorities, that's never a good sign. No, it really isn't. Well, we keep now being told, shut up, 97% of scientists agree. Actually, quite a few people have tweeted me this morning to say it's not 97% of climate scientists, it's 97% of the climate scientists that the government have, yeah. so, have sought to seek the reassurance from. And also, yeah. people agreeing doesn't make something true, does it? No, it doesn't. And you have to be really aware of how they use the polls. They use the polls in order to encourage social conformity. So we do have a herding instinct. Mm. So if you're told eight out of ten cats prefer whiskers, you think, oh, well, my cat would like it too. Yeah. So that poll's one example. How do they know that? Oh, no, Have they not, asked the cats? Do not, do not. Hey? So I'm not going to go down to into cats, but it's just an example of um, behavioural science bollocks. Yes. Okay, so this is, this is the spin I really want to talk about. Mm. Sky has announced that it is collaborating with the UK government's nudge unit. Yes. Now, in their... Um, proud video that they shared on social media they described the nudge unit as the independent behavioral insights team oh, yes. now you have had me on here every week you know what i think about yes. the behavioral insights well, team you, well you nominated the nudge unit did you not uh, on plank of the week last week i have and i've written a book about the behavioral mm. science approach to covid a state of fear so this is this is my terrain now they are not independent that was quite a startling way to describe them because yeah. they are one third owned by the government right okay one third owned by the government one third by the directors one third owned by nesta they're in and out of number 10 all the time they're basically on permanent tenure yeah. to the government so to describe the behavioral insights team as independent is interesting yes. in itself and some might say wrong or misleading it's wrong that's not independent yeah an organization that's one third owned by the government cannot fairly be described as independent and they've released a report about their collaboration. Now, they've conducted a survey and they've said how they're working together. Mm. So here's the poll part. According to them, 80% of people support TV broadcasters nudging viewers to think about the environment through documentaries, advertising and increasing coverage of environmental issues in the news. So Sky and the Pavel Insights team, which is basically the government, yeah. are saying they're working together to change the programming and the news mm. to change how you think about the climate. And I think this is the most clear indication we've ever had, that the government and the behavioural scientists do influence the news agenda. Well, you see, I'm old-fashioned enough to remember when journalists had no time for the government, had no respect particularly for the government, but not because they had anything against them, but simply mm. because journalists saw their job as to question what the government was doing, as opposed to agreeing with it and cheering it on. 
I think this has been going on a long time mm. though, this kind of nudge. And in fact, there's an admission of it in the report because the report talks about behaviour change um, via broadcasting and traditional media being historically used to create certain types of social change, mm. like um, boosting gender equality. So they talk about historic use of it. So if you ever felt that soap operas or the news were almost artificially constructing stories in yeah. order to change how you think, you were right. Yes. It has been happening. And they talk about what they're going to do going forward. Because you see, climate is quite a hard nut to crack. Mm. Persuading us to have underperforming expensive boilers, eating insects, not meat, not driving and not going on holidays. It's quite a hard sell, isn't it? It is. So they're going to have to throw everything at it. Yeah. They've already admitted that they're using news. And you can look at the BBC and Sky to see how climate's become an actual mm. subheading right. on the news page. You yes. know, it goes UK covid climate yeah. it's become a top news item but also um it's happening in the soap operas there was a fantastic article this week by joanna williams in the spectator mm. everyone should go and read it about how all the soap operas are going to have plot lines that converge now during cop 26 about climate yes and they have been doing this kind of uh, what i would call sort of slightly woke agenda for a long time not just yeah. about climate but about all sorts of social issues that they think people should be seeing on their television screens because it normalises it and all that. Yeah, right. they have been doing it for a while and, and this report actually admits it. And, you know, bless, that's what they think of us, that mm. us, us masses, us silly people... Ignorant people. Ignorant people. Ignorant we need soap people. operas to tell us well, what to Well, because actually, when basically, yeah. uh, when, you cut, when you get right down to it, we're ignorant, uh, we're racist, uh, we're not very nice, we're not very well educated, uh, no. we don't really know what's good for us, so they should tell us. No, we're burger-munching, gas-guzzling morons. morons. We're morons. And so, but the thing is, look what's happened. Soap opera ratings have been in decline for a long time. They certainly have. So have the broadcasters' news yep. programmes. And, and what about that great statistic that I like to quote often, which is that only 6% of the British population trusts the BBC as a news for, uh, source? OK, well, this isn't surprising. Let me state this very plainly. A news company, Sky News, is working with the government's nudge unit. Yes. Okay. When the government's nudge unit and news are working together, that is not news. That is propaganda. That's right. And it's also, the definition are they not, of propaganda. Are Sky not also sponsoring COP26? Yeah. Which, I mean, you could say that they're the, the media partner, which is not an unheard of thing. But it's, I think it's... Um, yeah, but, I mean, that's what you do for the World Cup. Right, which is football. Not, I mean, and I know that's not coverage. entirely without uh, political influence and yeah. all that. However, this is not football. Although no, somebody no. did say to me yesterday that it looked like a really bad uh, opening to an Olympic ceremony. Yeah, we could talk about the video they played. That oh. was a shocker too. But actually, something else to say about Sky. Not only have they basically admitted that their news is influenced by the government's nudge unit, it's not an independent unit. Yeah. Um, also, the chief executive of Sky uh, flies from Philadelphia to the UK. Yes. She commutes yes. transatlantically. Why not? So while using, Very their important person. <laughs> using their programming, their documentaries, their news, their drama to change how we little people behave... She's she's commuting transatlantically. Yeah. This isn't just about world leaders flying to Glasgow. She's mm. doing it all the time. Meanwhile, I couldn't go and see my mother for two years. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, and you're a broadcaster too. Yeah, I mean, I could pretend that I was an important part of a broadcast team and I had to go to America uh, in order to work. She doesn't have to be here and there, does she? No. 
I think there's some there's a real arrogance here and it's actually going to be their undoing. The idea that the behavioural scientists know what sort of nudges to insert into news, advertising and soap operas to change mm. our behaviour is going to be their undoing. It's not working. Ratings are going down. People don't like to be preached at. When you watch a soap opera, you want a bit of escapism. You don't want the same stuff you're hearing about in the news and in advertising to be thrown in your face in a soap opera too. No. It's not going to work. Art and creativity cannot be dictated by technocratic nudges. No. It's not going to work. It's not how it work. works. No. Although, except I suppose what you would say is that this is what they've been doing, and I've always believed this, and you and I have spoken about this before, but they've kind of been using this on us, I think, a lot longer than we know yeah. in terms of the things that the chief medical officer used to come out with. Mm. You know, that they would try and sort of push a particular agenda, you know, have a glass of red wine, don't have a glass of red wine, mm. you know, have eat, le eat less steak. You know, that was what they, before COVID, that was what they used to do, put mm. out these kind of little messages about your health. Yeah. And which I always used to detest because I'm like, you know, the government is not here to tell me how to eat. I don't know if you saw Ed Miliband this week uh, talking about, you know, how we don't want to tell people what to eat. We just want to help them make better choices. Oh. And you just go, I'm sorry, you know, that is not what I want a politician that I pay money to uh, in order to, to let him work in the job that he has. I don't expect him to start telling me what to be eating. Well, I don't trust them anyway. Otherwise, we wouldn't have ended up with a nation where over half the population are overweight or right. obese. Also, this is it's a guy who doesn't even know well. how to eat a bacon sandwich, so I'm not taking any advice <laughs> on food from him. Never eat a bacon sandwich while being filmed. No. Silly man. It is. Very stupid. Dear, oh dear. Um, yeah, no, I think, I, I think they have been doing it a while. It's kind of classic bread and circuses, but it's reaching this really obvious fever pitch. Mm during COP26, there's a kind of a hysteria in the air. And talking of hysteria, did you see Jon Snow's tweet oh. about the trouble getting to COP26? I mean, I have to say, without wishing to uh, exhibit schadenfreude, I must say I'd spent a lot of Sunday afternoon laughing uh, with all these climate maniacs who couldn't get to Glasgow because a tree had, had fallen on the line. <laughs> I know, I know. And of course, Dan Snow uh, thinks it's something to do with climate change. Jon Snow, yeah, I know. I mean, it was a really, it was a really tragic tweet. He said something like, here we go. What an irony, what a message. We must change, dare we hope that we shall. He said that trees and branches were affected by climate change and slowed the rail journey. And I read that and I thought, has he ever taken a train before? In autumn. Let alone in autumn. Yeah, in because, autumn. Well, actually, it's not even just autumn, is it? Because, um, sorry, anyone at British Rail who's listening, who's going to get upset by this, but it seems that trains can be stopped when it's too sunny and hot, yeah. when it's autumn and the leaves yeah. on the line, uh, when it's raining and when it's wet, when it's icy and snowy. There's literally not a but season. Only, There's not one enough, season that's good in, for our tracks. Only in this country. I was speaking to a train expert yesterday, and I was having a go at him over it, and he said, well, mm. it's the same in America. I, I talked about America, where I lived for a long time. They never have problems with leaves on the line. They've got more leaves and more lines than we have. Similarly, in Germany or any part of mainland Europe, you don't see them stopping the trains because it's too hot or too snowy. You know, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. It's just here, which tells me it's nothing to do with the trains. It's everything to do with the people that run them. Perhaps we're suffering climate change worse because we started the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, well, that is our fault. Yeah. I mean, we did start all this pollution nonsense. And that's why we have to pay now double. Yeah. Um, and also this other nonsense. The other, here's the other one that gets me is old Greta Thunberg. The most ridiculous interview ever by Andrew Marr. He might as well have done it on his knees, you know. Oh, Greta, thank you so much for talking to us. How, you know, how great are you? It was almost like the, the tone of questioning, right? She talks about how we are uh, dismissing climate change because we don't actually count the numbers right. Because what she wants us to do is count the numbers of other people's pollution because we're buying the goods that they're polluting the world to make. I'm sorry, I'm not say, taking that on as part of our, you know, somehow uh, our carbon output. 
because if the carbon output's in Beijing, because they're making something that I'm buying, how is that my carbon output? Well, we can't Unless win. you're a lunatic. We can't win then, can we? Because no. clearly what's going to happen is we're going to offshore production to countries which have higher carbon usage. Yeah. You know, Obviously, we're going to buy stuff from factories in China where they're mm. using coal because we're not going to have the means to produce anything well, here without energy. It doesn't, it doesn't make any well, sense. Well, every time they shut a coal mine down, they sort of bump, they, they, they chuck explosives down it so you can never get back into it. They knock a chimney down now uh, when they not get rid of a power station just in case somebody gets the idea they want to go back and use it. They destroy it. Mm. We are now destroying everything. Literally like a sort of, you know, scorched earth policy during the Second World War. I know. You in Russia. To... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sunday Twitter was good, though. Sunday was. Twitter was good. Um, Jon Snow's tweet was was quite funny. I wrote a haiku about it. It's mm. very bad. I'm not going to read it now. You but do haikus as well. What? Who knew? I do write a bit of poetry. To... Oh, yeah. Not well. Not well. I'm not going to give up the day job. I didn't, I didn't like it. Oh, stop. It's just weird, the isn't it? talking to me. Us. It is, I mean, you would literally... I mean, if you'd landed here from Mars and you watched that yesterday, you'd go, who are all these people? What's wrong with them? Yeah. Right? What are they doing? Well, see, the funny thing is that the leaders there are also being... They're also at the other end of propaganda. So the UK government produced this um, video, which everyone watched during one of their, their dinners. Mm. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It's actually... It's actually very clever propaganda. You know, the first half is showing disasters happening around the world. And then there's a bit that calls for hope. And then it shows how amazing the world could look if only we get it right. You know, you see porpoises leaping and the aurora borealis and well, murmurations of starlings. All the, all the, all the things you can currently see. You can currently right? see them, but... I've well, seen porpoises leaping. I've also seen the aurora, aurora borealis. You see, you're immune. You're immune to the propaganda, but everyone in the audience is watching it like stony-faced and horrified. And there's some really clever tricks they do. Apart from Joe do. Biden, who's asleep. He was probably asleep. No, he's awake in that bit. They show his face watching it. Um, and, you know, in the first half, you, you hear women crying for help. It's always women's voices. Yeah, we feel more protected about women's voices. You there are see, no children. There's some children. Yeah. Obviously, there's children staggering around needing help. And, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, there's no evidence that any one of those clips is, first of all, climate change. No. There's no evidence that it's not just climate. And there's no evidence that it's human-caused climate change. And there's also no evidence that any of the proposals that they'll talk about there will tackle the problems no. in the video. But it's a beautiful piece of oh, um, sure. propaganda video. But they video. all know as well that they're talking rubbish. This is the thing. You know, Boris Johnson, I, I bet you if you split Boris Johnson down the middle, there would be a big sign that said, I don't believe any of this. Because he can't possibly. Well, he can't do. He's written, he's written about what he thinks about climate change before. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. There's an article in The Telegraph where he basically says, you know, I, I got very hot today and I worried I worried about it being climate change and I checked with some experts and it's not. Right. I've paraphrased that really badly. Yes, no, but I know but he's, know, written, it, he's we, written before, uh, not exactly in defence of it, has he? We know how sceptical he is. Um, he dropped a very interesting tweet this week and it's got a tiny detail in it, but it's really important and people really need to be alert to this. He talked about how he hopes at COP26 governments will agree to tackle coal, cash mm. and cars. And trees. And trees. It's a four, I mean, everything's Trees now, are good, though. They've moved on. Plant I'm glad to see that they've moved on from hands, face, space. So <laughs> they've added a fourth word because somebody's told them a fourth word will make it look as if you're making progress in government. Yes. This is how they talk. But coal, cash and cars, that's three. They're the baddies. Three they're, they're alliterative. Yeah, they're, they're C's. And cash... 
cash. What does that mean? Well, this um, we know that there's a, a war on cash. People have been talking about it for a while. Yeah. You know, just recently, the amount that you can spend on your contactless went up from 40 to 100. Yes. That's not an accident. We've had no cash signs in shops all through the epidemic. Yeah. But he's just talked about cash as a problem for the climate. Now, why is he doing that? Is it because cash is a problem for the environment? Or is it because the government really wants to bring in a central bank digital currency, yeah. which I talked about with Christo last mm. week when you were away. And yes, I've, I've I missed you. I'm sorry that you had to speak to him, but never mind. It was awful, but I survived well and I'm done. back. No, I'm joking. It was, lo it was lovely. <laughs> well, you love Christo. It's all right. He do. knows you're really joking. Um, but... That's like a declaration of war mm. on cash because what he's done is slip it into the enemy trenches with coal yeah. and cars. Did you know there was a war on cash? If you didn't, you do now. So it's linked to coal now? It's just, well, it's it's right there sandwiched between the only way, coal and cars. The only way you can buy coal is down the back alley uh, with some cash and you get buy a bag of coal, a couple of grams, take them home. Heat the house up, don't tell anyone. <laughs> and then cars will be next, you see. The only way you'll be able to buy a car is down the same back alley where a bloke will say, yeah, it's diesel. Well, he goes, give, you some, uh, give me some cash and you can have, you know, a can of diesel to put in the car. And what drive it around. What you've done there is go right to the heart of the issue because the thing about cash is it's peer-to-peer -peer transactions that yes. the government can't survey. Mm can't control yeah. whereas central bank digital currencies are not just digital cash it's programmable money mm. in fact it's a completely game-changing trackable shift in what we think of money as being yeah. and our relationship with money it's trackable and it's programmable yeah. so people need to start being aware that this war on cash has just been declared mm. and what it means for the future of money which is potentially central bank digital currencies because you could see a point at which i mean most banks don't now exist you can it's quite hard to find a bank to actually walk into you know uh, mm. where my kids live in sussex there's no banks on the high street anymore they've all gone Right. Yeah. So you can't, if you're an old lady who happens to want to go to the bank to sign a check or to write something, you know, can't do it. They could then decide, couldn't they, just to shut down all the all the cash machines. So where do you get cash? Well, I think that will potentially, ultimately, one and day happen. And if you happen. can't get cash out of a cash machine, because I was mm. thinking about this the other day, you can't get cash anywhere else, can you? No, I, mean, I guess not. I don't think you can. I mean, it may be in circulation in certain illegal areas like drug dealers might have cash but you don't really want to go to a drug dealer and say can i have 50 pounds worth of cash please here's mm. my card i mean you know well the thing about central bank digital currencies it will prevent any of that ever happening if that's the only way that you can actually transact and it's interesting as well to talk about it in the context of climate mastercard launched a card in 2019 which allows you to calculate your carbon footprint and it has a switch off limit. So once you've spent your self-appointed carbon yeah. allowance, because this is all voluntary at the moment. It's all it's rubbish a voluntary credit card. No, it's rubbish. It may be rubbish, but it shows you the future. <laughs> it shows you the future of money. You can switch off your spending when you've spent your carbon allowance. Oh. Now, the thing about a central bank digital currency, that, that could be not voluntary. That could be programmed in that you have a carbon allowance every month. And yeah. once you've once you've spent your allotted amount on fuel, you can't spend anymore. It won't be a decision you make because in the internet of things, your car and your petrol pump might be talking to each other and yeah. the petrol pump goes, no, sorry, you've driven enough miles this month, yes. you don't get any more fuel. And that's literally one of the um, implications of a central bank. Well, bring on the currency. black market is what I say. Bring it on. Because I love a black market economy. And that's what we'll get. Because there'll be too many sensible people going, do you know what? Forget about that. Be like all the same people that didn't do anything that they were supposed to do during some of the lockdown uh, business. And people were getting their hair cut, people were going to see each other, people were having parties. You know, there's a lot of people in this country, luckily, 
who have a very fair and reasonable attitude towards authority. Which Absolutely. Is, tell them to get lost. Every oppressive regime has a has an accompanying counterculture. Yeah. It's what it's what happens. We'll be trading in common sense and and sneaky coins somewhere yeah. in the future. Yeah, I mean they want a beef tax is the latest one they're talking about, isn't it? Oh. Beef tax. No. I love steak. Well, even if you don't love steak, why would you put tax on particular things in the same way that when they put tax on, you know, sugar, when they put tax on things that they want people not to eat? It doesn't stop people eating them. It just makes people pay more money for them. Well, what's it, what's it Unless does you is... put the tax so high. I mean, like, for example, here's a good, uh, good system that doesn't work at all well, the pollution I was talking about. Mm. Um, the water companies have worked out that it's cheaper for them to pay the fines every time they get fined for pumping sewage into the sea than it is to make sure that they don't pump sewage into the sea anymore by fixing uh, their, in their infrastructure. So they'll just keep pumping sewage into the sea mm. and pay fines because that, for them, is an economic decision that they can make. Mm. So it doesn't help yeah. anyone. I know. And me saying I like steak, that's really factious, really, because the fact is that people can afford it will still buy it. Yeah, of course. And people that can't afford it won't. So it's really just, it's a way to immiserate the poor and the working classes yeah. while elite people still get to do whatever they want. It's mm. outrageous. But that is indeed what COP26 is all about, isn't it? Yeah. We can do what we want. You can look upon it as if it's a hypocritical thing to be doing. But most importantly, we're doing it. And nothing is more important than that. Apparently, mm. there's nothing more important than this. Yeah. Do you think COP26 is going to wake people up to that kind of streak of hypocrisy? Yes, I think it has already. I think it has already because we're seeing massive numbers of people listening to us right now. OK. Right. And it's up every single day because this mm. is the only place where we're talking about this. Yeah. Nobody else is doing it. So, you know, bring it on. More success for talk radio. Yeah. Because we do tell the truth and we let people think that there's something else that they can believe in other mm. than what they're being told to believe in. Absolutely. The home of common sense. Exactly right. And I'm so glad I get to come and talk about stuff with you for right. half an hour every week. It's brilliant. Yeah. And so successful were you in New Zealand. Your household name in New Zealand now. <laughs> you were on uh, their, their number one radio station promoting Jacinda Ardern's Plank of the Week and they loved it. So don't believe the word of people say, oh, yeah. but they love her in New Zealand. They really don't. Well, you know, since I did that, Mike, I've actually had emails from people in New Zealand every day. So they found my website and they're emailing me through my form to say thank you yeah. because the media over there provides a very one-sided coverage of the epidemic management and Jacinda are done mm. perhaps they're nudge unit are also in touch with their news teams what do you think um i think they're and, nudge unit it's more of a sledgehammer yeah and they're not they're not getting they're not getting any kind of criticism of her no. and the policies and so when they saw it over here on the other side of the world it gave them it gave them hope that people can see what's happening mm. and that sense of solidarity yeah. it obviously meant a lot to people it did and that's yeah. why we do what we do so thank you lord dodsworth uh, she'll be back of course next week the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio now, I'm delighted to say uh, a man who makes an awful lot of sense over in France because you can't always believe uh, what you get from the Elysee Palace. Uh, Charles-Henri Gallois, president of Generation Frexit. Charles-Henri, very good uh, afternoon to you. Bonjour. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, I'm delighted to see that one of the things that you've retweeted uh, in the past uh, day or so is the story from The Telegraph here that Ursula von der Leyen uh, used private jets to travel 31 miles <laughs> as they all fly around uh, uh, coming to Scotland, telling us all that we shouldn't be travelling, telling us all that we shouldn't be uh, wasting energy. These people are what can only be described as the biggest hypocrites in the entire world, aren't they? Yes, I, I think the hypocrite is the right word. If you look at the COP26, uh, you, you can call it the hypocrite's ball. 
you know, I think the two main characters of it, it can be Ursula von der Leyen, because she's, uh, she's trying to feel uh, people guilty about climate change, but we know what would be needed to tackle climate change, definitely not any individual choice, but more, you know, the government that should do some issues such as trade deal issues on all the petrol stuff, but they try to feel the people guilty. And in, on the same uh, thing, you, you, you see Ursula von der Leyen with a private jet for, uh, as you said, 31 miles. So it's quite crazy. And you have the same thing, you know, with uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, he's like uh, trying to feel people guilty. It's the same who organize private uh, trip to space, very useful activity indeed. And uh, then he goes to the COP26 with his private jet. So it's a quite uh, hypocrite stance. I it really say. is. It really is. And I've, I don't know what the French people think of it, uh, Charles-Henri, um, but there's a lot of people in this country who, who, you know, buy into climate change and they, generally speaking, are well off people who can afford to drive electric cars and they can afford to, uh, you know, offset their carbon uh, by planting trees around the world. But most ordinary working people don't really care about it. And if you look at the figures, actually, you have the 10% uh, richer that, uh, uh, that account for seven, 50% of the uh, gas emissions. Mm. So it's not the ordinary people, you know, with their own cars that will, uh, that will uh, do more damage uh, in terms of emission and in terms of uh, climate change. So that's why also it's quite hypocrite. Uh, to, to see all these leaders and you have also, you know, the European Union, for example, it's uh, the zone in the world with the most uh, free trade deals. And you know that the, the uh, international global exchange account for 25% of the global emission. So they are still signing trade deals uh, for the European Union. You have the same Ursula von der Leyen that, that will say, uh, be careful, you don't have to use your own car. But what, what's the purpose and what's the, the consistency of it? There is none at all. No, there really isn't. Emmanuel Macron, of course, uh, came to Scotland on, I suppose, Sunday evening. Um, and he and Boris Johnson were kind of exchanging what you might describe as good-natured sort of banter, I suppose. But Macron, we're told overnight, has kind of crumbled slightly on the idea of uh, blockading the ports of France to stop British lorries from coming in. But he's still trying to get more fishing licences, isn't he? I think so, but uh, actually the, the, the stance of the French government is quite hypocrite as well, because if you look at carefully at the deal, the UK is abiding by the deal, the issue, but you, you, you had to knew it before the, the trade uh, agreements. Uh, we have many old and little uh, boats that don't have recording systems, so they were fishing uh, during the past year in the UK, but they cannot uh, prove it. And basically, that's the issue of the deal that was badly negotiated by the EU. So the French government should blame mm. uh, the EU and not the UK by abiding the deal. Uh, then, yes, the deal is not a good one for, for France, but uh, Clément Baud and Macron should have been more uh, careful uh, about it. And they should now blame the EU for the, the deal. I'm quite pretty sure that if we had a bilateral deal between the UK and France, it would have been much better because uh, in terms of fishing, we share many uh, common uh, interests. You know that most of the, the fishes, they, they are born in, because of the water levels, they are born in France and so they go to UK. Then you know that the UK, for example, the, the fish uh, 
Salis fish in the UK, the three quarters of it is exported to France. So we have common interest in it. I'm sure that if France was outside the EU, we could have a, a much better deal and for, for both sides, you know. Mm. But it has been negotiated by the EU and it's, it's actually a bad deal. And uh, then the, the government, uh, the French government is quite hypocrite and irresponsible to, to, to try to, to blackmail the, the UK. They should just... Uh, uh, blames the EU for that. Yes. And how bad is uh, Macron's position at the moment domestically? Because obviously the election is next year, um, but he's worried, isn't he, about these uh, constituencies in Normandy where the fishermen may, may turn against him? Yes, he's worried. And you can see it uh, with, uh, you know, Jean Castex's letter that was released, uh, the, the Castex's letter to uh, Ursula von der Leyen, where he says that the EU should... Uh, at France, because you have to show to the European citizen that they will have more damage to be outside the EU than within the EU. If you think about it, it's quite crazy because he analyzes himself that uh, you have no benefits to be part of the EU, and so you have to to punish the ones that is that is outside to show to the European people that they have to stay within the EU. It's totally crazy, and I think Macron. We represent the European Union in France because he's, a, I call it a Euro fanatic. Mm. He's quite afraid of, uh, you know, UK doing very well because it can give ideas to other people in Europe to do exactly the same and to leave the EU. And Macron will have some difficulty in the presidential election. So he's trying to, to be tough on it, to, to show that he, he defends French interests. Whereas when you see all his mandate, he, he has not done anything but uh, uh, treason to the French interest. So he's quite hypocrite on, on that stance. Yes. And, and what about the French um, sort of populace? Obviously, we saw last year an awful lot of Gilets jaunes uh, protests in Paris, uh, in other parts of the country as well. Is that still a thing or has that kind of disappeared for now? The Gilets jaunes now, you know, with the COVID-19 crisis, uh, you don't have Gilets jaunes demonstration, but... It can come back because uh, we have some uh, inflation issue with energy prices and so on in France. I, I know it's quite the same in the UK, mm. but you have uh, much more, uh, let's say, uh, wages uh, rise than in France. So it, it quite offset in the UK. In France, it's not the case at all. So maybe you could see some demonstration like that uh, during the coming months. And definitely Macron is afraid of that because his re-election is at stake. So he will try to, to maybe give uh, some, some gift to the French people so that you know, they, they, they don't demonstrate so that he can be reelected. But I think it will be quite hard for, for him to be reelected. If the election would be tomorrow, maybe he, he would be the favorite because, uh, because you don't have an organized opposition, let's mm. say. But uh, within uh, six, uh, seven months, it can be quite different and uh, Macron will, uh, will uh, have some difficulties, definitely. Yeah. Do you think it's just about finding the right candidate? Because I know Michel Barnier seems to be uh, now entering the fray as a, as a kind of an anti-EU uh, figure, which is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> and also Le Pen, of course, is still, is still there. But is it the fact that they just need to find somebody slightly more charismatic? You have maybe a problem of charisma, but then it's more to find someone that can uh, gather the French 
to, to beat Macron because if you look at the, the poll, let's say Macron popularity is quite low, but he may win if he's, for example, against Le Pen because it's Le Pen and most of the French won't vote for, for him. Mm. So it, it depends. And you have also Eric Zemmour, which maybe will be more likely to, to gather the, the white ring uh, electorate. But uh, as Le Pen, it's, um, it will be very hard for, for him in the second run. So that is what is hoping Macron to, to be against someone uh, we can can beat in the second round because it's the first round Macron will have maybe 20 to 24 percent of the electorate, which is quite low for for a president uh, in exercise. So he doesn't have that popularity, but he is hoping to to win uh, because the other one will be more hated than him. So <laughs> it's a quite a difficult situation. And uh, that's what I, I, I think in terms of uh, European Union, if we want to, to get out of it, maybe it will be easier through a referendum, so the same one as you had in, uh, in, in Britain in, back in 2016, because in the presidential election, it will be quite uh, difficult because you don't have so far the candidates that can uh, unite the, the country against Macron, which is normally 70% uh, of the French people want Macron out. Yeah. Well, that's bad news for him. It's got to be. But we'll keep an eye on what he says up in uh, Glasgow because he seems to already be on the back foot. Uh, but Charles-Henri Galois, thank you very much indeed. Uh, he's still pushing for a Frexit in France. And a lot of people now joining that particular fight. Uh, but whether or not Macron survives could have a lot to do uh, with the fishing business, uh, particularly in those uh, constituencies in Normandy. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.